1: Who says this hasn't been a fun day already? Hey, ay 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 ay. Well, good morning, everybody. Believe me, you don't even want to know. I wouldn't know where to begin, and there really is no explanation. Well, that sums that up. Hopefully, you're doing well. On our program today, we should have a very interesting time. Now... We're speaking to you as part of the I'm Listening presentation, which really is a national effort on the part of the Entercom radio stations. And of course, in New York, WFAN and WFAN-FM, right at the top of the list of the Entercom radio station properties. And as part of this um, day... And part of the month of September. The focus is in the area of mental health awareness, suicide prevention, and I guess, in a way, perhaps the most important aspect of it all, because it's really key to the understanding of the topics and also addressing them, is communication. So I was just thinking about this, um, preparing for this first hour. In the 7 o'clock hour, we'll hopefully be shifting over to the uh, national broadcast that is of I'm Listening, which features artists, um, entertainers, uh, some folks with the, from the medical perspective from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And in the first hour of our discussion, now we were scheduled to be speaking with um, a guest who had spoken with us really a number of years back on this program. We once had a very interesting discussion. Uh, With her in studio, I'm hoping that she's still going to be able to join us in this hour if she hasn't arrived just yet. Uh, Dr. Debbie Moore is, she's actually a former lieutenant in the New York City Police Department. She retired from the department, and she's involved now working as an educator, a clinician, and a researcher. And uh, she, in her work works with members of law enforcement, appropriately enough, in trying to help them deal with stress. Now, just a couple of days ago, some of you, like me, were listening to Boomer and Geo on Friday morning when the police commissioner, James O'Neill, stopped by, WFA yet, and had a Pretty intense chat with them about exactly what this means in the department in terms of introducing even the idea of help to people who their job is really in the public's mind to protect others. And what that all means, what that entails, the kind of outreach that there is. And he was addressing or starting to address some aspects of what has become a crisis in terms of suicides that have taken place among members of the department and some efforts to try to curb that. What I think we will do, since we have some time in this uh, first hour here. I wanted to um, be able to open our phones up here. Now, you know, you say the topic, suicide. And it's very rare that there is no reaction to the topic. Many people will wince. It's one of those topics where I like to say the reaction often is, Even if you're not looking at the person, what I would call a look down, we want to avoid the topic as much as possible. Many people do. My question today, I'm serious in putting this question out to folks who are listening to us right now. How do we get past that? How do we get people to open up? How do we get people to be concerned about their mental health and the mental health of others? I think this is a very valid question. We're losing far too many people. I mean, one life lost is too many. But you think of the numbers of people, whether it's police officers, Veterans, teenagers, senior citizens, taking their own lives. How do we get people to open up and start talking about mental health, taking the topic seriously? And when there's an issue, actually speaking up, not being afraid to seek help. I mean, listen, there's plenty of resources, plenty. There's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Everybody should have that number jotted down someplace, 800 273 8255. Hopefully you never need it. But it could be a resource you could share with somebody who someday might. And you could be there to be a lifeline for that person. Wouldn't that be a wonderful experience? All right, you want to join the discussion here at the fan? I think that's... Not a bad idea here. 877-337-6666 is our number. I know it's uh, eh, kind of a a, a touchy topic for a lot of people, but I'm really curious about where the folks who are listening to us are going to take us in this uh, discussion because I think we have such a wonderful opportunity – at this time in this country, to start to change the way in which people look at this topic of mental health in terms of its impact, in terms of the resources that there are that are available, and not just something where we label someone and expect that to, quote-unquote, solve the situation or make the issue go away. 877-337-6666 is our number. We're speaking as part of I'm Listening. It's a national effort on the part of intercom radio stations. Of course, WFAN is a very proud member of the intercom radio family. The national radio, broad- radio broadcast is along from 7 to 8 this morning. On WFAN. We're going to start things off. And I'll tell you what, let's jump on the phones now. Uh, first up in uh, Little Ferry, New Jersey is Bob. Bob, good morning. Welcome to the fan.
2: Good morning, Bob. Bob, uh, can you repeat that telephone number again, uh, the 800 number?
1: The one for the suicide prevention life right is 800 273 8255.
2: I agree with you. I think it's a great idea for everybody to shove that number. If you got that number, wrote it down, put it in your wallet because it answers a question immediately that you put out on the table. is What can you do when you notice something where you think somebody might need help? Well, you have a remedy immediately. You're not going to be able to professionally handle whatever the situation is, but uh, to guide those people in, in the right direction, I, I think that's a great idea.
1: Either that or just put it in your phone. Literally have it there. Have it Have it right. ready, literally ready.
2: Yep, you're right. All right uh, I got some uh, comments about this because I knew the show was going to be about this th- this morning. <clears throat> people don't know where to turn when they feel they're alone. Uh, they don't seek professional help and they keep their deep feelings a secret. And you know what that happens, Bob? That that starts kind of a disconnect relationship with people they know because they're, they're not sharing that information. And all of a sudden, when they feel those kind of feelings, they're isolated. Uh, and what can we do? That's what you're driving at, and I agree. What we have to do is you have to try to notice if people have peculiar behavior uh, family, friends, co-workers, even casual acquaintances you run into. Or it could be somebody at a diner or a doorman or whatever. You don't have to be a psychiatrist, uh, a psychologist, a counselor to help. But if you're caring, if you're a good friend, or if you could just say hello once in a while to somebody who, who appears to, I don't know, you get the feeling that they're they're isolated or something. That a little hello would help over there. Now, every one of us, every day, you you had apparently a little rough morning this morning. All of us face trying issues every single day. But you want to know something? That's life. Every one of us do that every day, and you deal with the, the deal uh, with the issues, and uh, you deal with them the best way you can. And you continue on. Uh, A lot of people, uh, I guess they feel that when they have the problems that, uh, wow, you know, I can't deal with this or whatever. And they have to understand, come on, every one of us. I know the, the person who is very, very isolated and concerned, look at the other people walking around and go, look at all these people. They're so normal. And I have all these problems. No, all the people walking around have just as many problems, maybe in some cases not as critical as you think yours are, but they all have problems. And it's it's okay to be a self-critic, but we can always find a reason to smile every day. I say that all the time. We, yeah, I go to funeral parlors, for goodness sakes, when a, a loved one has passed away, and we can get together in a corner some relatives and actually find time to smile or laugh about something. You know what I mean? Exactly. Always... And uh, people you're not a lesser person if you think you have these problems. You're just normal. And if you consider seeking professional help, go for it. And here's the key thing, Bob. A lot of people today, and this is so important, I hope it comes up during this hour and the hour to follow, it is not an embarrassment to seek professional help. People, Some people think it's an embarrassment. And, oh, my God, if my friends ever find out that I went to see a psychiatrist or I seek professional help because I think there's something wrong with me, oh, my God, I I won't be able to face that.
3: No, come on.
2: If you think you have a problem and you don't know how to deal with it, seek professional help. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's the key that we have to get out. We have to get out to the public that it is not an embarrassment. Don't feel bad. Don't feel like a lesser person. If you feel you need help, go for it. And that's that's my message, Bob.
1: Thank you very much. Well-delivered message, Bob. Definitely. Thank you. 877-337-6666 is our number here at the FAN. You want to join us in discussion. What we're doing is we're taking some viewer calls as part of I'm Listening 2019. Uh, Dr. Debbie Moore is going to be joining us in a short time as well. And we also gave out the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800 273 8255 we are in discussion and talking as part of I'm Listening 2019 uh, the national program is on from 7 to 8 this morning we are starting things off uh, trying to work in some thoughts from some of the folks who are listening to us dr debbie moore is going to be joining us shortly on our program and we go back to the phone 877338 773376666 66 is our number here at The Fan. Thomas in Huntington has been holding forever. Thomas, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you.
4: Good. I was listening to your uh, conversation and I'm um, I'm actually a middle school teacher and I think that um some of the things that we have to do is get to these kids earlier. Uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers seem to be under a lot more pressure than ever before. And they have anxiety and they, they have a little bit depression and they're not sure who to turn to and they're not sure who to go to talk to. And to help alleviate it, it even uh, becomes worse and they turn to maybe alcohol or drugs in some way. And I think we need to get to these these students earlier to help them understand, like your last caller, that it's not a stigma if you have a problem. Go talk to a, a counselor, a guidance counselor, a teacher, the school psychologist, and help them develop the coping mechanisms that they need in middle school and then as, as adults to help get through. Because we all have, like your last caller said, points of sadness in the course of a day, in the course of our life, and we need those coping me- mechanisms and that support around us to help us deal with whatever it is that's going on.
1: Well, should those resources, and, and in the case of the district where you're teaching, are the resources primarily available through the schools?
4: They are. Um, we actually just added a second school psychologist um, to have a second person in the building to help. Um, uh, most teachers uh, do have preliminary dealings to help with the students to understand, to help talk. And sometimes students, especially at you know when they're 11 and 12 years old, they just want a listening ear. And we forget, especially at that age, they might not have that at home. Uh, they might going to school, getting home, parents aren't there, they're working till late at night, the kids are feeding themselves dinner, they're going to bed, and they don't see the, their parents that much, or they don't have an adult that they feel comfortable speaking to, um, to tell them what's going on with themselves.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. Thank you very much for your patience and your kindness and thoughts on the phone, too. Take care now. You have a great day, Bob. Thank you. you. Thank you. All right, stay on the phone. We will go next to Sean in Woodbridge, who's been holding for some time. Sean, good morning. Welcome to the Fan. Hey, how you doing? Doing well, thank you.
5: Um, yeah, I-, I love that you guys are uh, you know talking about this topic. Um, I was a police officer for uh, seven years, and I've seen things that you know would make you cry. Mm-hmm. When you came home at night mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the heroin yeah. epidemic and everything else. And they try to say, just leave it at work, just leave it at work. But when you come home, you can't leave it at work. You know, the kids that you, you know, you pumped on their chests every day. Every single every single tour that we did, you know, there there would always you know there would always be something that would just make you come home and and you, you can't you can't forget it.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: You have dreams about it, you know, you have nightmares about it, and it ruins your. You know, like it ruins your relationship with your family. You know what I mean? hmm So you, you you do all that and then you come home and you can't you can't get rid of it.
1: So how did you manage?
5: Well, I started um uh, I started drinking too much. Mm-hmm. I went to rehab. I, you know, like the last caller said, like I, uh, I seek help. You know, I went, you know, I'm from New Jersey and I, I flew down to Florida. And and let me tell you, there was so many New Jersey cops there that it it, it was unbelievable. Hmm. People that I've actually, you know, had car accidents with and was on the scene on Route One. And dude it's 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 freaking hell.
6: Mm-hmm. It's
5: hell out there. It is. So what I'm trying to say is teachers, police officers, nurses, it goes It's a, it's an unthankful job. They don't understand that we bear the burdens
1: of the world. You get what I'm saying? I get exactly what you're saying. I'm hearing very, very clearly. When is it, when is it that you left the job?
5: I left the job, um, after seven and a half years. And I just recently left there, um, I got out on a, uh, you know, you know, medical mm-hmm. um, condition. Right. Um, but we don't go out there like robots. We're, we're not robots. We are people, we have feelings and we bring it home with us. And then it bears it on our families.
1: And that in itself can create a whole dynamic where the family members then have to deal with exactly how.
5: They have to deal with with me that just dealt with things that you can't even imagine in your head. Mm -hmm. And I just try to put a smile on my face and I try to keep going. But then the time comes, it's just like, Jesus. like, what am I doing here? hmm And then, I mean, if you really want to go into it, I mean, then, you know, you'll lock up some guy that just robbed the liquor store and he'll be out in like two days. And it's like, what are, what are we all doing this for? hmm What are we doing this for? I was supposed to make a difference. And then you feel like you're not making a difference. You know, you go through the academy. You have to shave your head every freaking night. You go through every single thing. And you don't even make a difference in the world. And then everybody bashes you.
6: Mm.
5: Everybody bashes you. Tells you that you're a bigot. Tells you that you're this, you're that.
1: Uh, def- definitely not, okay? <laughs> this, this still is radio here. Uh, sometimes people get into the vernacular uh, that we are able to use on the street. We can't do that in terms of the uh, broadcast airwaves, at least not at this point, shall we say. Um, we're talking on our program as part of the preparation for I'm Listening and as part of I'm Listening, I'm Listening on the National Level is a program and presentation from Entercom Radio. I'm Bob Solter. And by the way, we are joined in studio by the guest that I mentioned at the beginning of our program, Dr. Debbie Moore. Dr. Deborah Moore is an educator, clinician, researcher. She's someone who has joined us before on our program. She's a retired lieutenant from the New York City Police Department. And I'm very pleased to have her join us. She's the author of a couple of books we had talked about before on this program The Mindfulness Response, Inner Happiness Every Day, and Who Helps the Helper, Proven Stress Management Techniques for Law Enforcement Officers. Um, first of all, it's nice to have you uh, join us on our program. Good to see you again. You look certainly do look well. Um, welcome back to uh, WFAN.
7: Bob and Good morning, Bob, and thank you so much. And I'm sorry I'm a little tardy, but I'm here, so that's what's important. Well,
1: that's the impor- <laughs> important thing. You know, uh, we started off with some of the folks who were listening to us because that very often is um, the way in which this program takes shape. And I had a feeling that just putting a few ideas out there would get us started. And my whole approach... To today, was trying to get some talk about why it is that we get so hung up on this idea of even talking about mental health. And nobody, nobody realistically seems to want to talk about suicide prevention.
7: Yeah, um, that is absolutely the case. And unfortunately, in our society, we tend to favor the body over the mind. Mm -hmm. So meaning if someone says they have an illness such as cancer, diabetes, um, that's more acceptable than someone saying they have a mental disorder such as schizoaffective, depression, or anxiety. So we tend to look at mental disorders still as something where, you know, quote-unquote, you're crazy, which we know certainly that is absolutely not the case because there's a lot of people that are walking around with diagnosable mental disorders, and you would never know that. So there's still that big stigma attached to saying, you know what, something's going on with me psychologically as opposed to I have a physical ailment.
1: But even getting someone to open up in that fashion. Of course, that's only step one. Then step two is promoting awareness of the fact that there are resources. I mean, there's tons of resources available. I mean, I've given out a couple times the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. Mm-hmm. There's tons of resources available. You know, There's, there's this little thing called the smartphone. The, something else that's called, here's a shocker, the internet. Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, this—we've got this information literally at our fingertips.
7: Yeah, it's still a struggle. Again, I mean, if if you look historically, and now you know, I'm going to shift it over a little bit to law enforcement. But if you look historically at at policing, it's always been a culture where um, you're not supposed to go for help. You know, it's it's a definite sign of weakness, um, and you know, a a decrease in your strength and character when you're trying to reach out for some type of mental uh, assistance. So historically, that has always been put in place. And so now we're asking law enforcement officers to do a mind shift, you know, and we're telling them now the message is it's okay to go get help, which is absolutely what we want them to do. But I, I think the message has always been so clear that it's, it's, a sign of weakness when you do get help, but now we're trying to let them know it's okay. You do need to get this help. And I think a lot of um, the police department, they're doing a great job at promoting this message, but it's just not being well received by law enforcement officers at this point just because of the fact that it's been ingrained in them for such a long time because we're talking historically um, that this is a sign of weakness but in fact it's absolutely not a sign of weakness it's actually a strength in character to recognize that you know what I do need assistance and perhaps there is somebody that I should talk to and I think you're 100 percent right with all the um things I call them at our fingertips, it's so easy to try to access these resources, but still, you know, somewhere ingrained in the brain, it's, it's, I don't know, am I doing the right thing? Or, or you know, who's going to find this out? Or, you know, does this mean I'm weak?
1: Well, you know, that, that's, that's an interesting point because sometimes people will get hung up on this idea of, oh, you know, somebody's going to, at this day and age, well, what if a neighbor finds this, what if, or, you know, somebody else on the job finds out, listen, there's resources, there's ways of doing things anonymously. And that should not be an excuse.
7: I absolutely agree. I mean, you can go and you can, uh, there's definitely confidential ways of getting help. But again, I think, and and I have to bring it back to, the history of policing, the whole culture of policing, it's still kind of hard to tell somebody or for somebody to even recognize that they may need help, that something may seemingly appear out of their control. So I think until that message gets across that you can reach out for help, it is confidential, it would be better received.
1: And what about the situation where someone is certainly, shall we say, exhibiting signs that they need help. But the roadblock comes up every time someone mentions to that person, you know what, you need to go and get help. And the response is, I don't have a problem.
7: And that's typically the case. Um, Unfortunately, when we need help, we're usually the last ones to kind of acknowledge it, and and that's often because we may be in denial about it. But I, I often suggest that we look for these signs and symptoms um, in our the coworkers. Usually, your family members, your coworkers are going to be the first to kind of recognize signs and symptoms that someone needs help. Um, there may be physical signs. You know, somebody uh, may complain that they're having muscle aches, back aches, tension. Uh, They may notice, too, that their speech is a little bit slower than usual. Uh, There may be emotional signs that the person is exhibiting, such as they become more easily agitated. They just seem to be a little bit more irritable than usual. Um, There's also behavioral signs, such as there may be changes in that person's sleep. They may say, oh, you know, um, I'm not sleeping like I used Mm. to, change in appetite. Um, So there are the signs that are there in place. And as I mentioned, oftentimes that person is not the one to recognize it. Or they may, but they still may feel I have a handle on this until it becomes too overwhelming.
1: Mm. So if you can get someone talking. That's a good first step. And you can try to encourage them, I guess, as best you can, because you can't, you can't drag somebody to help, okay? They have to want to do this sort of thing. Um, But you can certainly do what is within your power, within your purview, to be able to encourage them as much as possible uh, to seek help. Interesting thoughts shared with us by Dr. Debbie Moore. She has joined us on our program. As I mentioned, she is with us uh, to talk as part of I'm Listening 2019. We're going to talk more with her. We'll also get back to more folks on the phone, too. I know there's some folks on hold at uh, 877-337-6666 is our number. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline that I've mentioned a couple of different times in uh, this discussion, is 800-273-8255. Write that number down today. Keep it handy. Someday, it could be today, you're going to run into somebody who is going to need that number, and you'll be glad that you took it down. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. we are in discussion with Dr. Debbie Moore. She is an educator, clinician, researcher. She's also the author of a couple of books, The Mindfulness, Response, Inner Happiness Every Day, and the book, Who Helps the Helper? Proven Stress Management Techniques for Law Enforcement Officers. She's a retired lieutenant from the New York City Police Department, and she has joined us on our program, What we're doing is talking as part of I'm Listening 2019. The national version of I'm Listening kicks off at 7 this morning. What we're doing is trying to work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us, also trying to get some information, some advice, very cogent advice shared with us by Dr. Moore. Back to the phones we go. 877-337-6666 is our number. Vic has been holding forever. Vic, thank you very much for holding on so long. Hey, Bob.
8: It's a pleasure. Thank you. I'm a long-time listener. I've been listening to the fans since 88. You're a gentleman. I love your show all the time. Very sensitive. Your opening uh, monologue was right on. Communication is key. Communication. I'm retired NYPD 20 years. I'm out 20 years already. But uh, as far as the NYPD, cops got to know that there will not be repercussions anonymity is key you know as uh, dr debbie said you know you look for changes in personality and uh those are some things that can help but uh like that previous caller that cop from jersey you know it goes to show you police work is not for everybody you gotta have a tough thick skin and uh it wears on you through the years but uh you know i could tell you as far as police work it's tough we all know that and you know to get back to a communication observation and anonymity and they got to know there's no repercussions that stigma attached to suicide depression meds the cops don't want to lose their guns you know all of this stuff is it's got to be changed it's got to get to the powers that be they got to get that message clear out there that there will not be repercussions
1: Thank you all, and God bless. Thank you very much. Dr. Debbie? Dr. Debbie, you yeah. want to respond?
7: Oh, yes, absolutely. Good morning, Vic. And I think he touched on a very important point about the punitive uh, responses. And I, th- that's usually a message that officers get when they do receive help, they feel that it may be a punitive action or, or a consequence behind that. And that certainly has to change. And oftentimes it's not punitive, but it's more of, of a safeguard. So that way the officer is, is safe as well as his or her family. Um, but Vic absolutely hit it on the head a lot of times when an officer does decide to um, go for assistance, they may feel like it is going to be as a result of something punitive. So that system certainly has to be a little bit more friendly and uh, strengthen the point that it's not more of an action to to jeopardize your job, but also to get you help that you need.
1: You know, the phrase was used, and I was so glad that he did, about someone being afraid of losing their gun. And and I noticed you were nodding and as he was speaking. Why do those words have so much power?
7: The gun is a major source of identity for the officers. It's a symbolic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a symbolic source of identity. And think about this. You have an officer that has, I'm just going to say, lived and breathed policing for whatever amount of time. I mean, you were a cop 24 hours a day. So now you're stripping part of that identity away from him or her. Mm -hmm. And that can also be a major setback in addition to whatever they're going through. So part of that is helping the officer understand we're not taking away your identity and, and your ability as a police officer, but what we're doing now is just trying to get you help. So if that message is clear, I think that will also make a bit of a difference. Instead of using that weapon as a punitive factor, we're taking it away because you're bad. We're taking it away to get you assistance to help you. Mm.
1: Most interesting discussion we're having. We're trying to work some thoughts in from the folks listening to us as well. Back to the phones we go. 877-337-6666 is our number here at the fan. I'm listening. The national program's along at 7 this morning. Uh, Back to the phone to um, Jerry in Brooklyn. Jerry, Good morning. Good
9: morning, Bob. And um, boy, I, I you know I've said this many times to you. Uh, I feel that your show is a nonprofit. You educate. You get the word out. You help people. Um, you're a terrific interviewer. You ask all the right questions and uh I usually let out a profanity because I stay for two hours and listen and always forget to bring home a bagel and coffee uh the <laughs> night before. So uh <laughs> you keep me engrossed. Uh uh, just, I love your show. Thank you. Um, I've worked uh, forty years working with all the at-risk populations, uh, the homeless, the deaf, people with disabilities. I've had a tour and, and orientation to go into state and federal prisons to help people get out of prison on early work release. Um, I have so many, uh, so many observations. But let me just start with something that I read. I read that. We have 79 organs in our body, five of them essential to life. And I thought that to myself, 78 of those organs always get the sympathy and the love they need. And I I realized that for all of our organs to do everything that they're supposed to do every day, every week, every year, I've been blessed to be living at 70 years old, But there's one organ I thought about that doesn't always get the love and and that's the brain and and I think the stigma from what I've encountered working um, with people uh, with disabilities and I always tell people please put the person before the disability um, which leads me into the stigma and over the years I've tried to and I've worked in education and employment I am not a psychiatrist. I am not a therapist. I am not a social worker. I stay in my lane. I never try to pretend to be some, someone that I'm not. And I try to educate employers uh, with the stigma over the years that uh, you know for hiring people, and 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 I always felt bothered about introducing the work opportunity tax credit. Uh, which is a tax credit for hiring someone with a disability, and uh, that 's a, a federal state tax credit and turn it rolls over the second year into a work tax credit. Never felt that that should be the deal maker um, I always tried to say and try to promote the person can do the job, and I think we 're starting to get that message out. Um, I recently read uh for two thousand and nineteen. That nine police officers have committed suicide for this past year and I believe one more in the next four months would double what it's been going back to 2014 and and I maybe the doctor will I don't know if this is a factor I don't I don't know the inner workings of the police department but I wonder if someone does reach out for help does that go into their record are they fearful of maybe having a problem being promoted down the road to fear that that might get out. And so many other questions, so I hope you touch on that. I heard President Trump a couple of days ago announced that Johnson & Johnson released a nasal spray for depression. That along with treatment, he felt, he said that the uh, rewards outrisk um, uh, the, the other issues that, that go with that. So I hope that you touch on that. And let me just say that um, um, we need to get the word out. It's the stigma uh, that we have to overcome. It's gotten better, but we're still not there yet. That's all I wanted to say. So I just wanted to say thank you and have a good day, folks.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your kind words as well, Jerry. Dr. Debbie? Yeah.
7: um, Again, with the whole idea of reaching out for help, sometimes it can be viewed as what's going to happen next. Will this go in my department file? Um, how is this going to jeopardize my future um, potential for a promotion or to go to a different assignment? So that's often something that uh, actually I think that she's usually the forefront in an officer's head when they do make a decision that they are going to go to reach out to for some type of assistance. But as I mentioned, oftentimes it's not in a punitive sense. The idea is to get help, but there is that element of who's going to know, Mm -hmm. who's going to find out, and how will this hurt me? And it's actually a very real thing to consider, you know, who's going to find out that I'm taking this antidepressant or that I have anxiety? I mean, so these are, are real struggles that an officer has to think about before they tend to come forward. And for this reason, sometimes people tend to go outside and use external resources in order to uh, receive the help that they need.
1: Mm. Most interesting discussion we are having on our program on the fan this morning as part of I'm Listening 2019. Um, Whether you're joining us on WFAN, WFAN WFAN-FM, or those of you who join us on Radio.com. By the way, if you're on that Radio.com app, make sure you favorite WFAN. Um, Let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666 is our number. And we'll go to Paul in Cranford, New Jersey, who's been holding forever. (laughs) Thanks for holding on so long, Paul. Welcome to the fan.
3: No problem. It's uh, great listening to you guys. Um, I think I bring an interesting perspective to the topic. Um, I'm 61 years old. I'm going to be 62 in a couple of weeks. Um, Early happy birthday. Di- Thank you. <laughs> I was diagnosed as uh, being bipolar when I was 26. And uh, I've been dealing with that now for 36 years. And um, I think I've been hospitalized three times uh, I've been on you know a lot of different drugs and uh, I've been very, very lucky. I have wonderful I have an incredible support structure. My wife, my children, my friends have been uh, just really fantastic in supporting me throughout all this um, but on the work front, it's been very, very different um the stigma of mental illness, and I'm in sales. So, you know, a sales guy is supposed to be uh, up and positive and and happy and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, that whole kind of demeanor. And when I'm feeling depressed, it's very difficult to kind of get get to that point. But um, so what's, what I wanted to talk about is that very recently, I have, and this is through um, a lot of therapy that I've been through, um, I recently have come to grips with this to the point that I was going through a depressive episode quite recently, and I shared with my employer everything that I kind of, not everything, but just the fact that I was bipolar and the fact that I go through depression uh, symptoms sometimes, and it does affect my work. and the. The thing was that the reaction that I got was pretty wonderful, um, and he proceeded to tell me that he's got mental illness in his family, and um, he's, he's he was the the thing is he was very sympathetic, and uh, it kind of took me 36 years to to almost admit to myself that I had I think I was in denial in my, even my, to myself that I had this affliction. And um, I um, just wanted to share that I think things are maybe changing a little bit, where because of what we're doing here, and I and I wish I wish this program wasn't on at six o'clock in the morning on Sunday. I wish it was on at you know prime time, <laughs> but uh, that's not a story.
1: But, well, that's a, um, that's a debatable point as to exactly what prime time is, but that's as you that's, say. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Unfor- Paul, unfortunately the clock is our enemy. I've got to watch the time here. Thank you very much for joining us on our program, though I do appreciate your comments. Um, we have to make way for the National I'm Listening program in just a mo- couple of moments here. You'll be able to follow along at imlistening.org. There's a lot of information on uh, that site uh, available to you as well. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. Very beginning of this hour, I put out an idea that a couple of listeners have addressed. My contention is, Dr. Debbie, that communication is the key to accessing and addressing this companion topic, issue, shall we say, of mental health and suicide prevention. Would you agree?
7: Oh, absolutely. Communication is certainly something that's needed, and not just the communication, but the understanding of it, because it's been put out there. Uh, People know that there's a lot of resources. You've mentioned uh, the suicide awareness number several times throughout uh, this airing, but I think it's... The push to actually get them to go. I mean, as the previous caller stated, he was in denial for a number of years before he realized, okay, maybe I need help. And I think that's a major problem is that people understand and they see that they know that the resources are out there, but to actually make that attempt to or take that first step to call is a big thing. I mean, think about it. It's seen, It's uh, again, and also as the caller mentioned, mental illness in our society is not something that's seen as favorable as opposed to saying you have, you know, a physical illness. Um, so to take that step and acknowledge that something's going on with me, you know, something behavioral, something cognitively is different. It, it's scary to to want to be able to face that. So resources are in place, but it's just to get people to become more receptive. And I think that's the key to it. How do we get people to become more receptive to actually go about utilizing uh, these resources?
1: Well, part of it, I guess, is having discussions like the one that we have had here and that will continue in the next hour here on our program. I want to thank you very much for joining us um, Good to see you again and to share the information that you did. Certainly, continued good luck with your work, too.
7: Thank you so much for having me.
1: (laughs) Dr. Debbie Moore is a retired lieutenant from the New York City Police Department. As I mentioned earlier, she's an educator, clinician, researcher, author of a couple of books The Mindfulness Response, Inner Happiness Every Day, and Who Helps the Helper, proven stress management techniques for law enforcement officers. Uh, She has joined us um, on our program. Very pleased to have her share her thoughts with us this morning. We are going to make way for, as I've mentioned a couple of different times, the I'm Listening program that continues on the national level. That's between 7 and 8 this morning. And along at 8 o'clock, oh, there's a very pleasant surprise that's going to come your way here on The Fan